and then we will ask for God's help, and then we will look at the second half. We began this study last week, and we will complete the psalm this morning. So Psalm 23, David, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. My gracious God, we thank you for your word that reveals to us who you are, and we pray that this morning you would help us to better understand who you are and what you have for us. Speak to us through your Holy Spirit in these moments that we have. We pray these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. Last week we began probably one of the most, if not the very most, known passage of the entire Old Testament, Psalm 23. We're singing through it each week as we have chosen it as our Psalm of the Month. And so we started off with this, this uh, background information that this psalm was probably written by David later in his life. We often picture of it being written by David, the little shepherd boy, but in reality, David was reflecting back as even he was, he was possibly going through a difficult time in his life, he was reflecting about how God was what he was for those sheep. And of course, this is a very beautiful picturesque pastoral image that would have been well known in the ancient world at the time that David was writing this. There are still beautiful themes and illustrations. In fact, the entire psalm is a great big illustration of what God is for us. And kind of the heading over it that we said last week was this first statement about who God is. The Lord is my shepherd. And so that really is an overarching title. So what does it mean? Verse 1, it means that I have everything that I need. That the Lord as shepherd provides everything that his people need. And this is what David means by this phrase, I will not want, I will not lack. And we spent considerable time last week asking ourselves the question, what does it mean for me to not lack anything, that, that God as my shepherd provides all that I need. The Lord is my shepherd. He provides for all my needs. In fact, David delves into more detail with this illustration, reminding us the Lord provides for our spiritual needs. Whatever, whatever the sheep need physically, this, this green grass this refreshment of the cool waters, even providing a place where the waters are calm, that is what God does for us spiritually in providing our nourishment. But he also provides us a way when we get off the path, when we err, when we sin, to restore our soul through faith and repentance. We saw that in verse 3, the Lord provides for our spiritual growth. I trust that this repentance, this restoration of your soul 
this encouragement in Christ that is promised to us is part of your regular spiritual journey. And then just as Timothy reminds us that the Word of God is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness, ongoing training in righteousness, so too the Lord provides that as He leads us in the paths of righteousness. And He does all of this in keeping with His character for His name's sake. The name of God reflects who He is. And last week we spent some time reminding ourselves of the names of God and how they're illustrated in this psalm that the Lord provides, the Lord gives peace, the Lord heals, the Lord is our righteousness, the Lord is always there, He's always with me, the Lord is our banner, even in the presence of enemies, and the Lord sanctifies us, the anointing with oil. And so the Lord provides for us for His people, for the people who follow after Him. He provides everything that we need spiritually. We spent that time considering verses 1 through 3. In verse 4, we see the comfort that God provides for His people. Just as the shepherd comforts the sheep, so too God provides for us comfort. We see this in verse 4. Verse 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Now, there is a change in verse 4. Do you see it? Do you see how God is spoken of in verses 1 through 3? And then what changes in verse 4? Go ahead, you can answer if you see it. Okay, say that. Say what? Correct, right, the pronouns change, right? So in, the, in, the, in verses 1 through 3, he's speaking of the Lord in, in third person, right? The, the, the Lord is my shepherd. He makes me. He restores me. He leads me. Do you see that? And then when you go to verse 4, notice that the end, he says, for you are with me. And so verse 4 is really what the, the, the kind of the middle the, the climax, if you will, of the psalm, and it is intensely personal. It is not just about God, but it is now speaking to this God who is the shepherd, this God who comforts his people. David is now not merely speaking about the shepherd, but to the shepherd. So how does the Lord comfort his people? How does this shepherd comfort the sheep? Well, he does it even in the face of trouble. I mean, it is, it is one thing to say that the Lord, Lord comforts us by things being good, things being wonderful, but, but David actually says that his comfort extends so far that, that, that the, the comfort of God is even in the face of trouble, even the most extreme threat of trouble. Notice how he says it in verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil often as shepherds would lead their sheep, it was incumbent upon them to go through areas that were dangerous. They were in the, in the valley, in the, in the darkness, and there could be lurking many dangers down in those valleys. But there was also some of the richest grass to be found in those shaded areas, those shaded valleys. 
that, that were more protected from the beating of the sun and the, and the grass could flourish even though it may be drying out in a drought high on the hill. And so, so David says there are times that we have to go through the, the valley where there are dangers, where there are difficulties, where there are threats. And then he uses this phrase that has made it into our vernacular, the valley of the shadow of death. Now, some have made much of the fact that it is the shadow of death, not death itself. That is perhaps true. It, it may, be, may be reading too much into it. The point is this. If you are threatened by death, that is one of the most scary, fearful dangers that we can imagine. And so David takes this extreme example that the shadows are dark, even, even to the point of threatening death. There could be wild animals lurking in those shadows that would snatch the very life of the sheep away. And even though I'm walking through those deep, dark valleys, the valley of trial, the valley of fear, the valley of, of threatening, even the valley of the prospect of my own life being snuffed out, I don't fear. I fear no evil. Now, we're told that the strongest human instinct is to survive. And if you're, you know, you're thrown in the middle of a lake and you can't swim, you will do everything you can. If you are, are faced with someone who would do physical harm to you, people will do amazing things to escape death. It's one of our strongest, if not our very strongest instinct is that, that drive to survive. Well, David uses this as the example of that which we fear the most. We are inclined to, to fight death, to avoid that which would cause us harm and even death. That's one of our most extreme fears. Yet, David says, I fear no evil. A few weeks ago, Brother Hutchison was with us, and he was telling us about our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world he even told us of many who had, who had, face, who had faced and, and had be, felt fallen victims to martyrdom, had been killed for the preaching of the gospel. And these stories could be repeated again and again as we go back through Christian history, as we go around the world and we see the threats that are, that are foisted against those who preach the gospel. Yet what we see is this, this remarkable resilience, this strength, this courage, even in the face of death, how is it that believers can face death itself, martyrdom itself, and yet be courageous, resolute? Oh, it is exactly what David says here, I fear no evil. So I wonder this morning if, if that's our greatest fear, and David says, because of who the shepherd is, I can face my greatest fear. I wonder this morning, what is it that we fear? What is it this morning that is a concern to you? Is it health or finances or relationships or a, a particular bill that needs to be paid or some great choice that you have to make 
What is it this morning that you are fearing? Take heart. Be encouraged by the psalmist's statement, even though I walk through the, the most threatening, the most ominous danger that I could face, the shadow of death. I don't have to be afraid. I fear no evil. But don't miss why he says he does not have to be afraid. He says, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. The presence of God is the comfort to us that the shepherd is always there. He is always watching over and guarding his sheep. He only allows into our past the things that are best for us, for his glory and our good. The reason that we can take comfort, even in the face of adversity, even in the face of death threats, is because the shepherd is there. It's not because I'm strong. It's not because I'm invincible. It's not because I am great. It is because he is great. And so I would ask us, in what ways do we meditate on that reality? In what ways, when we face something that causes us fear, when we face that which threatens us, when we maybe even walk through the valley of the shadow of death, in what ways do you and I contemplate God's presence? Do you and I take the time to rehearse in our minds passages like Psalm 23, passages like, I will never leave you or forsake you. What, do we take time to reflect on the, the truth that is reminded about God's character in these times when we are tempted to fear? Because, again, going back to what we said last week, right, sheep are a really good analogy for us. They're they're fearful, they're easily distracted, they're naive, they get into trouble, they stray, they wander, they do things that are harmful to themselves. What a great illustration for us. And when we are tempted to fear, and we are, what do we run to? Does our mind race to solve the situation, to solve the problem, to, to figure out who we can take comfort in? To figure out what circumstance must go a certain way for us to be at ease, to be at peace, to not have fear? Or does our mind run to the one who provides for us all that we need? I will fear no evil because the shepherd is there. And in the very midst of the trial, the difficulty, even the shadow of death, the Lord comforts us. Now, he does this in another way, and we see this in the last part of verse 4. He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, the rod was basically a club. Right? It was carried by shepherds of the ancient Near East, and even today continues to be, um, continues to be uh, used. If you've never read the book, it was written, I think, in, back in the, in the 70s, maybe late 60s, um, a book by Philip Keller called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. Keller had extensive experience in, in agriculture and in um, 
raising um, various livestock and had been traveled the world and just has some really, really neat devotional insights into Psalm 23. And he recounts in A Shepherd Looks at the Psalm, uh, at Psalm 23. If you've never read it, I would, I would encourage you to consider uh, reading it. He, rem- he talks about the fact that he goes to certain remote parts and he's found that young shepherd boys will use these clubs and they are so adept at hurling them for a great distance that they can strike an intruder or a, or a wild animal that would come to threaten the sheep and they would take this, this club, this, what what's the psalm refers to as a rod, and they can hurl it towards a wolf or a coyote or something that would threaten the sheep and strike it and it would run off. Well, that's a comfort to the sheep, right? I mean, knowing that the shepherd wields this club that can, that can scare off that which would cause harm. That's the rod. And the staff is, is a somewhat smaller, more fragile instrument. This is what you typically see in pictures when you see an a, a ancient shepherd standing, right? It's got that hook at the top. Right? And that was a, a tool that was used to, to pull the sheep back in or to, to grab it from the midst of a thicket and to, to pull it out or to, to grab that back leg and to drag it back. That is the, the staff. And the psalmist says, they comfort me. They're instruments that protect the sheep. But they're also instruments that correct the sheep. That sheep would get out of line. He could, he could bop it, right? He could, he could strike it n- n- nicely and lovingly and get it back to where it's supposed to be. And so it's interesting that the rod, I mean, the thing that we think of as, as negative or corrective, and the staff that, that drags the sheep back, We don't think of these things as comforting, yet the psalmist says, your correction is for me a comfort. God corrects his own. What does Hebrews say? Everyone he loves, he chastens and scourges every son who he receives. We think of God's correction as something that is that is opposed to his love, but it is actually an outgrowth of his love. Now, how does God correct us? Well, there are a number of ways. He corrects us through the conviction of the Spirit. Right? Do you ever have as a believer that, that sense, that realization, that reality, that weight, that you are not right with God? Sometimes he even uses the admonishment of fellow believers. Well, that's uncomfortable, isn't it? When a believer who loves us comes to us and, and puts his or her arm around us and says, Now, brother, now, sister, you're doing this. Why? Is that pleasing to God? Sometimes God uses other believers to admonish us, to, to correct us. Or sometimes that God will use circumstances to arrest our attention. Ever do that? You're kind of just cruising through life. Everything's good. And then something happens that causes you to wake up and realize your own foolishness, your own sinfulness. Now, all of these things are the rod and the staff of our good shepherd. 
and they are a comfort to us because they are a manifestation of God's grace. You see, if God didn't love us, he'd just kind of let us go on our own. But he loves us enough to correct us, to to bring us back. And this goes back to verse 3, right? He restores my soul. When we're corrected, we repent, we trust in him, he makes us right again. He brings us back to the fold. What a wonderful, encouraging truth that God cares for us. Not just, not just to make everything comfortable for us all the time, but He cares for us enough. He loves us enough to correct us. We see in verses 5 and 6 the ways in which the shepherd blesses his sheep, which are the ways in which the Lord blesses His people. He does this in verse 5, even in the face of harm. So verse 5 says, you prepare a table before me. Now, when we switch to verse 5, we're kind of changing a little bit. And it's interesting, you'll read different, different commentaries will talk about verse 5 as being a new analogy. So in verses 1 through 4, it's all been about the shepherd, the sheep, the fields, and then verse 5, many commentators will, will note that this is a change of metaphor from the shepherd and the sheep now to the host and the guest. Now, that might be the case, but not necessarily because table was used not just to refer to you know, a piece of furniture that humans sat around to eat, but when you were in mountainous regions and there were these plateaus of green grass, that would also be referred to as a, a table. And so David could still have in mind these sheep that are led to graze on this plateau or, or the table. He spreads a table before me in the presence of my enemy. It's, it's something that is spread out flat. And so whichever way you take it, whether you take this as the analogy of of a host spreading a feast, a royal feast, or if you take it as a continuation of the analogy from the first four verses, the fact is that that God has provided. And he does this, notice, even in the presence of my enemies. Now, shepherds were adept at protecting the sheep because, again, they were vulnerable. And so what they would do is they couldn't, they couldn't always take the sheep, I and mean, they would go for a long way to, to graze them, and they couldn't always bring them back to the place of origin for some place that's safe. So there would be scattered throughout the, the ancient countryside these, these fences, if you will, of stone. They were, they were like little corrals. And, and as dusk would approach, the shepherd would guide those sheep into these little, these little pens, if you will. But the interesting thing was they didn't have doors. Had they put wooden doors there, they would have rotted away from the elements. They, they just left a gap there that was the entrance to the sheepfold. Well, well, how did they really protect the sheep? The sheep were all inside. The wolves were all outside, but there's this gap. And so what the shepherd would do, he, he would himself lay down and sleep at the doorway to that sheepfold. And he himself was the gate. He was the one that would put himself there as the barrier between the sheep and the outside world. As they slept, 
they would be protected. Well, this doesn't remind us of Jesus in John 10, who says he's the good shepherd, who lays down his life for the sheep. This is what our God does for us. He protects us, even though there are enemies around, right? The coyotes may be circling that stone wall, sniffing, thinking, hmm, there's some good dinner in there. But they can't get in because they won't come past the shepherd. The shepherd is laying in the, in the gateway, protecting those sheep, even in the presence of our enemies, even those that would destroy us, that would do us harm. God is always our protector. Again, he doesn't allow anything to come into our lives, but for his glory and our good. Healing uh, oil in the ancient world was used medicinally for healing. It was also used symbolically, representatively. And so we see here, following this phrase, he says, you anoint my head with oil. This is the way that blessings would be bestowed on others. So you remember that when a new king was appointed, what did they do? They would anoint his head with oil. This was a sign of of blessing, and even, even of setting apart. We would use the word perhaps from the New Testament, sanctified, set apart. This is what God does for us. He, he anoints us with oil. He, he sets us apart to himself. There may also be a reference here to the healing that comes from this oil as, as the sheep would be out in their, in their day-to-day grazing. They would, they would scar themselves. They would hurt themselves. They would they would come up with, with little sores, and the, and the shepherd would anoint that sore to protect it from infection with oil. My cup runs over. This is the idea of, of blessing, of abundant blessing, that, that I have all I need and more. So God blesses. Sometimes we notice it. Oh, thank you, Lord. You've been so good to me. You've blessed me. But the reality is a lot of times we don't even notice his blessing. They, they are so abundant that our, our cup runs over, yet we fail to recognize it. So I would ask us, do we ever stop and take note of that? Do we ever recognize the way in which he, he blesses us, he protects us? We sing the little gospel song, right? Count your blessings, name them one by one. And for us, it's a good practice when we are discouraged when we are, are fearful, to be reminded of the many, many good things that God does for us. When you're tempted to complain, what do you do? A good practice for you would be to, to, be, to be conscious, aware of that for which you can be grateful. To make this choice to, to be grateful rather than be complaining. The Lord blesses His people. He blesses us richly. He blesses us in this life, but He also will bless us forever. He blesses us in verse 6. He says, um, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. We're blessed for life. We are blessed in this earth, but it doesn't end. For those that know Christ... Blessings will come for all eternity. Watch this. I will dwell in the house of the Lord. 
You know, there are many blessings that come as we uh, come to Christ in faith and repentance. This is the gospel that we talk about so often. We are born in a state of separation from God because of our sin. But Jesus Christ provided the, the eternal payment for our sin, and we, by faith and repentance, can enter into that payment. I would just say this morning, if there's never been a time when you have repented of your sin, turned from your own way, realized that your own way is inadequate, and, and trusted in Jesus Christ, that is to say, depended on Him completely, today can be the day that you know forgiveness of sin and an eternity with God. You see, what we're deserving of is not to be blessed in the house of the Lord forever for all eternity. What we deserve is, is eternal punishment. But through Christ, we can have forgiveness of sin. We can be made right with God. Sometimes we will talk about the gospel merely in terms of heaven and hell, right? We deserve punishment, but Jesus Christ has provided the way. You can go to heaven. Well, that's simplistic. But it is true that the blessings that we find in Christ not only affect us in this life, but for all eternity. What a wonderful thing that the psalmist rejoices in, that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God provides for us in Jesus Christ all we need, not just for this life, but for the life to come. As we meditate on this passage of Scripture, and I trust you'll continue to meditate on it throughout the week, we're reminded that the Lord provides everything that we need. Jesus is enough. He is our strength for our growth, for our, for our spiritual needs. He's our comfort, and He provides us with great blessing. As we think about this, maybe you'll see pictures of a shepherd from time to time. Maybe you'll even see Christian literature that highlights Jesus as the good shepherd. Be reminded that the Lord cares for his own. Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture, for the truths that we find herein. We pray that our hearts would not be quick to forget what we've seen, that we'd meditate on it frequently. In just a moment, I'm going to conclude in prayer, but before we do, I want to give you an opportunity to bow before the Lord to confess sin, and to ask for His strength and help as you put into practice the things that you've learned this morning from this passage of Scripture.